Hello, this is Tiana Shoei, and I'm the host of the Made to Conquer podcast. This podcast is designed to encourage you to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus told us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because when we stand before him, we want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hello, everyone. This is Tiana Shoei, and welcome to the podcast, Made to Conquer. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. I hope all of you had a wonderful holiday and enjoyed the time with family and just a little bit of time to slow down and unwind before we do what we do so well as a species, and that is ramp up and pretend like <laughs> we are not human. <laughs> we, uh, we have a great tendency to overdo it. But I hope that you guys are doing well. So just a, uh, I guess, I guess we're going to have to start off on a, on a bad news note this morning, and I'm sorry, a uh, couple different things, but I am not going to be able to record a full podcast today. There are a couple reasons for that. And I just did want to, at a minimum, jump in and say hello and let you guys know that I'm still very much committed to Made to Conquer, very excited about this third season, have something very excited, exciting to talk about in our first full-length episode of 2023, uh, I just had just this amazing moment with the Lord right as we were kicking off the holiday season, and He's just been speaking something so powerful to me and something that I'm just treasuring and cherishing and kind of ruminating on in a positive way. I know ruminating tends to have a negative connotation, but I mean it in a very positive way in this case. But there are a couple reasons why I can't record that podcast today. One of them being I'm away from my home office today and I was under the impression that my internet was going to be much better than it is here. And unfortunately, because of my internet, which I need really strong internet in order to record a full length podcast, uh, I don't want to deal with the technical issues. And then the other issue is, and this actually plays into what I wanted to talk about with you guys today, I've not been feeling that well. And I am just not in a place where I have the capacity to to give to this podcast what I like to give to it. And I'm going to share a little bit of personal information with you guys today. I apologize. Sorry, not sorry. Don't worry. I'm not going to TMI any of you. For the men who listen to this podcast, you don't need to shut it off. This is actually probably good for you to listen to and help you kind of see the other side of, of humanity, which is you know the side that women struggle with in a different way. And I promise you, I'm not going to TMI you guys. But... Um, as I was thinking about this, I wanted to come on and say at a minimum, just do a quick devotion and spend some time in God's word, even if it is much shorter than my typical podcast. And again, you know, I'm not I'm not on here to do anything other than encourage you in your walk with the Lord and be very real and share with you guys a very real journey that I'm on. And I'm not here pretending like I'm better than you or in different than you. I am we're one in the same. We're we're children of the Most High. We're on this journey of following Jesus together. And my hope and my goal and my desire for this is that that I inspire you just to stay the, stay the course, keep going when the going gets rough, and recognize that we have chosen to walk a different path than the rest of the world. And that's going to mean our lives look differently, and we're going to think differently, and just kind of stay connected to that mission that we decided to embark on when we said yes to the Lord. So. 
Uh, just to kind of give you guys a, I've talked about this before, so I'm not, you know, this is nothing new, but you know, as I've mentioned before in this podcast, I can't have children. And that is because I have a, unfortunately not so rare disorder called endometriosis. And essentially what that means is that my body forms little tumors all over my abdomen and it doesn't disrupt my life for the most part, but there's going to be times when I will have a really bad day and the pain just gets to be overwhelming. And unfortunately yesterday, which was the day I was going to try to record a, a longer podcast, uh, the freight train hit me in a way that it's never hit me before. I was in the most amount of pain that I, 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 I can probably say probably that was the worst pain I've ever been in in my life. And you're talking to a girl who has um, been in the ER a couple of times from bike crashes. <laughs> so <laughs> when I say that, I don't take it lightly. <laughs> I, uh, I have a tendency to overdo it when it comes to my physical limitations. Uh, in addition to my ultra running, my husband and I love to mountain bike. And, I, you know, sometimes I like to test the limits of gravity. By the way, gravity has won every time. <laughs> so <laughs> when I decide to get clever and test gravity, gravity wins. And so uh, yesterday was a really, really painful day. But, you know, what I've, what I've learned is, and I've said this before on this podcast, and I genuinely mean it, there is no wasted suffering in the kingdom of God. And so yesterday, as I was thinking, you know, kind of planning my day out in the morning, okay, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to record Made to Conquer. And my whole day took a side turn when I ended up in, you know, a ball of pain, breathing and, and in the worst, honestly, probably the worst pain I've ever been in. And thankfully I was able to manage it within a few hours, but it was a, it was, a, it was an excruciating couple of hours. And in that time, you know, I, I found myself in this place where I was saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Not only did this disorder rob me of my ability to have children, but why, you know, why are you letting me endure this? It's, it's tech, it's truly unnecessary physical pain and it's excruciatingly unnecessary physical pain. And, you know, I wanted to share the story with you guys because we're all going to be in that place in life at some time. Maybe you're here now or maybe you've been there in the past and uh, maybe at some point in the future you're going to recall this story as you as you walk through something that seems like unnecessarily painful. And not all pain is physical pain, right? In fact, I would say emotional pain is, you know, far more painful. In fact, I was thinking about this yesterday. There have only been a handful of times that I have cried because of physical pain. Yesterday was one of them. I can, I mean, I remember when I, when I crashed my mountain bike a couple of years ago, going down this really awesome, really awesome trail we call it, it's Ridgeline, it's in DuPont uh, up in North Carolina. And it's just one of these sweet downhill trails that my husband and I like to ride. And I took a corner that had washed out because of the sand. And I'd done this trail so many times. I think I've counted, I've done it like over 70 or 80 times. And I'm so used to knowing exactly what the trail is going to entail, but they had done some trail work and put some sand in and it caused my front tire to wash out. And when it did that, it threw me from the bike and I landed on my elbow and dislocated my el my arm really bad. And it was, it was so dislocated that I, that there were two doctors that stopped, you know, out seeing me kind of trying to get back to my car. And they both looked at me and they said, you're probably just dislocated, but because of the way it looks, it could be broken. And we're not willing to, you know, put your arm back in place without an x-ray. And so, you know, it was amazing how God worked that out that day because I was in bad pain. My poor husband, he's having to carry his bike and my bike down. We were a couple miles from a trailhead and then he ended up catching a ride. One of the guys in the parking lot was nice enough to drive him, you know, the eight mile distance to go get our truck and 
and he came back and took pick me up but while i was sitting there for what felt like an eternity after having just hiked a mile and a half with a dislocated shoulder and bleeding everywhere the whole nine yards there happened to be an er nurse in that parking lot and he was such a godsend and he was like i'm pretty sure you're just dislocated and i knew i was because i knew the kind of pain i was in versus broken bones i know the difference believe it or not and he was so sweet he he had an ice pack and an ace bandage and he wrapped me up because when you have a dislocated shoulder the less movement the better the more that you move it the worse that it hurt and so anyway i don't know why i went on that <laughs> rabbit trail and told you guys that story but uh you know that, that that day it seemed like this is such an unnecessary amount of suffering like why am i going through this pain but that is the only other time i can think of where physical pain has caused me to cry and as we were driving to the hospital now we're hours into this injury and my husband looked at me he goes you know it's okay for you to cry and i was like okay thank you <laughs> So yesterday and, and when I had my bad bike crash, you know, are the only two times I can think of that physical pain caused me to cry, whereas emotional pain is usually what causes us to cry. But anyway, nonetheless, we're all going to find ourselves in that situation and we're going to be looking at our circumstances and we're going to be saying to God, why, why are you allowing me to walk through this? What good could possibly come from this? And this is actually a, a question that apologists deal with a lot. And it's a question that I've delved into a lot as I've started to study apologetics. How can a good God allow so much suffering? And believe it or not, they're really good answers for that. The more that you dig into it and the more that you understand and the more that you deal with the concept of evil on a high philosophical level. And I will, I will have that. I promise you that at some point in time, we will talk through that question on this podcast and we will go through that and we will understand why does God allow bad things to happen and why does God allow evil to exist? And you know, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there pain and suffering? And there, like I said, there are really good answers, but one of the the answer that we hold on to as christians is what paul tells us in romans chapter 8 verse 28 god works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose and he tells us earlier in chapter 5 suffering pr produces perseverance perseverance produces character character produces hope and hope does not disappoint and one of the things that's been really exciting that i've learned as i've studied apologetics and as i've studied more and more god's word and understanding who he is and how he works one of the things that the world tries to tell us and this is something important that i'm saying right here so tune into this and listen closely one of the redefinitions that happened. So one of the things that we're watching happening in modern culture is the redefinition of terms. So, so for example, uh, recently the very left-leaning and and very progressive and liberal dictionaries redefined what a woman is. <laughs> I mean, like listen, like it's almost comical how asinine things have gotten in our current culture that they're literally redefining what a woman is and now to in have more inclusive language for men who wanna who are confused about their gender and dress up as women or pretend to be women. I mean they've gone as far as they now have frozen ketchup that you can buy and excrete as a man if you want to know what it's like to have a period it's just so as somebody who was in excruciating pain yesterday it's so unbelievably insulting to women and it's so anti-feminism uh, which is the irony of it to have men who belittle and degrade what it actually means to be a woman woman because they're dealing with gender dysphoria but anyway that's another story for another time so there's been this kind of sleight of hand movement that's happened where we've re been begun redefining terms in our culture and what and this is all what i would call a byproduct of postmodernism. 
And, and at a high level, postmodernism is this idea of thinking that, you know, everything is either material or human. It's, it's a materialism and humanistic thinking. You know, it's, it's kind of the re redefining of reality with God out out of the picture. And some people call this the post-Christian world. In other words, you know, we lived in a Christian era for a time, and now we're in that post-Christian era, and that's part of postmodernism. And one of the redefinitions of the word of what of one of the words that has happened in this postmodern era that we live is the redefinition of faith and so the way that faith used to is taught biblically and the way that the that faith is described as biblically is evidence-based faith and professor john lennox from oxford oxford university does a brilliant job describing the fact that christians do not have blind faith we do not but one of the postmodern definitions of faith is to call it blind faith so in other words what the world has done is said if you're a christian then you have to have blind faith and if you do not want to have blind faith, then you would have evidence-based evidence belief in science. And so that's the postmodern way of thinking. That's not true, though. We have evidence-based faith. We believe what we believe because God has proven himself to be faithful. And when you research the Bible and you research the historicity of the Bible and you research all of these things in the scripture, what you will find is that there's a lot of evidence for what we believe. In fact, there's far more evidence for what we believe than this new religion of scientism that is emerging in the world that we live in today, which is this belief that if it's not science, if I can't see it in science, then it's not real. And the irony of that is, is so much of what people put their faith in today as being truth, this scientism, this new religion, that's kind of the postmodern, you know, it's humanism, it's, it's materialism, it's all of these things kind of grouped into this, you know, I'm going to put my faith in science. There's so many, there's so much gap in that information. And they have to do so many backbends and flips and hurdles to take God out of the picture, that there's a far less evidence for that than there is for those of us who follow Jesus and believe in God's word. So I, I kind of go through this whole thing to say that we are not, we do not have blind faith. We have evidence-based faith. And I one day will go through all that evidence with you. So that way you can articulate this to people who believe that in order to be a Christian, you have to turn your brain off. And I've talked about this before, that the exact opposite is true. In fact, in, in the last podcast, we talked about the fact loving God with all of your mind is actually a mind that delves into know more, to understand more, to have a deeper knowledge, to use your full capacity of your mind. And I love how John Lennox, you know, took Richard Dawkins, who wrote The God Delusion, he took him head on on this topic. And, and he said, you know, he basically backed, he painted himself into a corner by saying, okay, you know, you, so you have blind faith that your wife's going to be faithful to you. And Richard said, no, I have a ton of evidence. She's, you know, we, we went to the altar, we made a vow to each other. She's never been unfaithful. And, he, and, and, you know, John Lennox said, thank you. That's, that's what Christian faith is. We, we base the, the faithfulness, you know, there are so many reasons why we know that we have evidence-based faith, but one of them is the faithfulness of God and the fact that the sun gets up every morning and shines, uh, the fine tuning of the universe, which is, you know, statistically, um, and biologically and physically impossible were it not for a creator and all of these other reasons that we have evidence-based faith. And so as I was kind of going through this, I say, okay, look, my, my belief that God is allowing me to go through something painful and allows us to go through things painful is not blind faith. It's not this, it's not this psychological coping mechanism that I hope one day, you know, uh, that I use to deal with the trauma that is in my life. And instead I say, you know what, God's word is faithful. I can look at it and I can see that he has been, he has been faithful, that he has that his word has continued both from a prophetic perspective as well as a spiritual perspective to be true and demonstrates its truth throughout my life and throughout the lives of those people who I've got, seen God change their lives. And so when I look at Romans 5, 
suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. That's not a, I hope I win the lottery. That's a, I have assurance. It's, it's, it's the guarantee that what I'm believing is going to come to pass. And it, that the, the end of the road in that description is that we have a assurance, an assurance, a guarantee, a hope that is not a blind hope, that is not an unfounded hope, but we have a guarantee that we can place our life upon this. And it's, you know, I say this all the time. So many of us would trust Jesus with our salvation, but we won't trust him for, for the day-to-day -day things in our life. And how silly is that when you look at it in practicality? And so over here, I say, okay, the start of the road is suffering. Suffering is the first step that gets me to the point where I know that I can trust God no matter what. And in that comes perseverance and character. And so there's a process that God takes us through, and it's okay for that. So in today's quick, short podcast episode, what I wanted to do was just cover a couple stories of women in particular, and again, men, if you, you know, because I know there are a lot of men who listen to this podcast, listen to this. Um, because there are differences between men and women. They're beautiful. They're God created. There's nothing wrong with them. And there's something that should be celebrated. But the more that we can understand one another, the better we can love and serve each other, both in our uh, familial relationships and our marriages and how we raise our children and then how we deal with each other's brothers and sisters. So we're going to jump into a couple passages of scripture. And the first passage of scripture that we're going to jump into comes from the book of Genesis chapter 16. And this is such a beautiful story because in this story, God, we're jumping into the story of Abraham and Sarah and God promises Abraham that he is going to give him a, a child and that from him, he's going to have descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And, uh, you know, Abraham did what we are so very good at doing, which is uh, deciding that we're going to help God out a little bit with his promises. And so, you know, at, at Sarah's, you know, bequest, he takes Ishmael, excuse me, he takes her servant, Hagar, and he gets her pregnant. And then Sarah's jealousy begins to erupt on poor Hagar. And here she is. She's done nothing wrong. She's simply done the job that God gave her, to, or excuse me, that her mistress gave her to do. She gets pregnant and now Sarah is very jealous. And so starting in chapter 16, in the second part of verse, well, we'll start in the first part of verse four, he slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Sarah creates this whole mess and then blames it on Abraham. Verse six, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert and it was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? So here's here's Sarah, here's Hagar. She's fleeing because of how Sarah is mistreating her. And an angel find, finds her. And she says, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. And this is before Abraham. They were Abraham and Sarah. This is Abram and Sarai. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will become too numerous to count. So here she is. She's running away. And God sends an angel to her and says, look, go back. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of you and your baby. And I'm going to also give you descendants that are too numerous to count. And I could spend a lot of time going through the history of the Ishmaelites and, and how that plays out throughout scripture. But anyway, starting in verse 11, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant. You will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael and the Lord has heard of, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Uh, now Ishmael means God hears. 
in verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And when we go into that Hebrew word, the God who sees me, it's El Roy. So when you look at the different names for God in the Bible, I have a poster in my office and it has all the names of the Bible, the, the one who sees me, the one who provides for me. This is Jehovah or El Roy, God who sees me. This is such a beautiful passage of scripture because what we see here is that, that God is present in every detail of every one of our lives. It's really easy when we're going through life and we're disconnected from the Lord or not in fellowship with him, not in the word, not in prayer daily, not being filled by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit to, sent, to feel like there's God in heaven and he's kind of seeing, overseeing everything at a macro level and down here on a micro level, we're trudging through the details of our life, but nothing could be further from the truth. And in this very early story in the book of Genesis, I mean, we're just a few chapters into the beginning of the Bible, we have a story of a woman who's not the promised wife of Abraham. She's not, she's kind of this side character, but God brings her into the center of the story and he says, I am going to take care of you. And so she then, we now see a beautiful name for God, which is the God who sees me. So yesterday as I was writhing around in pain, <laughs> And I was saying, you know, God, why, why are you allowing me to go through this? Why all of this unnecessary suffering? You know, wh why can't you just, you know, make this go away? And as the day wore on, I was very worn out. And so I decided to sit down and catch up on the chosen because I'm, I don't know about you guys. I'm a big fan of the chosen and I don't miss an episode. Usually like when it comes out, I'm watching it the day that it comes out. And that's what I did for the first two seasons. And uh, just as a side note, okay, I've, I've, unfortunately had to battle this issue on TikTok way more than I'd like to. Um, you have kind of different extremes on how people feel about The Chosen. Here's what I'm going to say. I've heard people take it out of context and say, you're not supposed to add or take anything away from scripture. So if you watch The Chosen, you are doing something uh, um, unbiblical. That is a bastardization of that passage. What, what that scripture from the book of Revelation is saying is that you're not to add or take away anything from the book of Revelation. But we all agree that the scripture has been canonized and that there's nothing equal to God's word as far as Christian texts are concerned. So in other words, a Christian book by Max Lucado is not the same thing as the Holy Bible. <laughs> a Christian movie is not the same thing as the Holy Bible. The chosen is not the same thing as the Holy Bible. When somebody uses the argument that you're not to add or take away anything from scripture, they're essentially saying that any other type of Christian text is equal to scripture and therefore unbiblical. And so any other type of Christian anything that a painting, you know, the Last Supper painting, that would be considered unbiblical because it would be adding to the text and it could be different. You've got to be really careful not to take that scripture out of context. I would say that a good application of that scripture is something, say, like the Book of Mormon, where they've added three different covenants and doctrines, the Pearl of Great Price and the Book of Mormon to the scripture, and they consider them you know, equally inspired text as the Bible itself. That is a good application of that scripture. There is nothing in the Christian world that we hold to the same level and the same standard of doctrine and theology as the Bible itself. And so if you watch The Chosen and you're holding it to the same standard as the Bible, you're misusing it. That is not the purpose. It is not meant to be the scripture. It is not meant to replace the scripture. It is not meant to be an exact rendition of the scripture. It is meant to be exactly what it is, which is a variation, 
of the biblical story played out for us in TV format, and it's used to help give us a different perspective on what first century life would have been like, what life for the disciples would have been like. There's a lot of interpolation that's included in it. And so you cannot hold it to the same standard as the scripture because it is not the scripture. It is a Christian piece of art, nothing more, nothing less. So don't overread into it. And then for those of you that have heard the rumors that it is a Mormon production, it is not a Mormon production. One of the things that I like how Dallas Jenkins is doing this is he uses non-believers and he allows other people to be a part of the production, not the writing of the script. The writing of the script, the text, those things are done by biblically-based, spirit-filled Christians. But the other things that come in that are not relevant to the actual context of the, of the, the show, he allows non-believers to be part of it. I pray that some of these actors and actresses who are a part of this have their lives changed. I mean, we know Jim Caviezel had his life changed by playing Jesus in the Passion. So it is my prayer that these people have a radical life transformation that occurs as a, as a part of being a part of a Christian production. And so I think the evangelist in us should be very excited about the fact that God is going to ideally use this on a grander scale than just the audience watching it. And that should be our hardest Christians anyway. And so having a non-believer play a biblical character is not, it does not discredit from the story itself. And, and that is, again, uh, very, we've got to be very careful about how we treat outsiders, you know, and this is what the book of Colossians tells us, be careful about how you treat outsiders. Don't, do not, they are not held to the same standard we are as Christians because they have not made the same decision that we have. We are to be loving, kind, compassionate, open our minds and hearts to them. And that doesn't mean we, we affirm their things. That doesn't mean we have to agree with them, but we can love them and we can still, you know, be partners with them in, in the sense of you know working towards showing them who jesus is and so uh some of these arguments are just asinine but anyway i go i digress back to <laughs> back to the chosen so anyway it's very unlike me to be behind on a couple episodes of the chosen but i just happened to happen to be behind on a couple episodes and so yesterday as i sat down to watch season three episode four which came out i don't know a week ago it's it starts off the story about the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And as I got through the end of it, what I, what the Lord used that to show me was, I am the God who sees. I see you, Tiana. And it was so profound. So I wanted to share this with you. And I wanted to remind you that God sees you. Whatever circumstance you're dealing with right now, whether it's, uh, you know, great, you know, and, and you're in that, you're, you're beside still waters and you're on that pasture that David talks about in Psalm 23, or whether you're in the shadow of the valley of death, or whether you're God is setting a table in the presence of your enemies, whatever that looks like for you, God is the God who sees you. He sees the details of your life and nothing in your life goes unseen by him. So we're going to jump into Mark chapter five. And what I love about this story is it shows up in a couple different gospels, but Mark does a great job just really getting into the details of what's going on. And it, it's even more profound when you understand the different aspects of how the gospels are presented, the four living creatures, how you have the ox, you have the man, you have the eagle, and you have the lion, and these represent the four gospels and the four different persons of Jesus, or the four, not persons, but the four different um, characteristics of Jesus. You know, Jesus is king, Jesus is fully man, Jesus is fully servant and then jesus is god and we we get to see these examples of him and so mark is the gospel of jesus as the servant the face of the ox and what i love about this when you compare this to matthew's gospel matthew kind of touches it a little bit like yeah there was a woman she was bleeding god touched her sure <laughs> but when when we read it from the gospel of mark which is jesus as the servant and mark if i'm if i'm correct captures the most miracles because we see most mostly what we see portrayed for us in 
the gospel of Mark is Jesus's serving heart. And this is what Paul talks about so deeply in Philippians chapter two. But anyway, starting in Mark chapter five, Jesus is getting off the boat and he um, ha has a large crowd. And then all of a sudden Jairus, uh, the head of the synagogue, and this story is also being covered in, in this um, episode of The Chosen. He comes to get Jesus because his daughter's dying. And so Jesus, you know, begins to follow her and starting in, or excuse me, begins to follow Jairus in, in Mark chapter five, starting in verse 24. So Jesus went with him in a large crowd, followed and pressed all around him. And a woman was there who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years. Now I want to pause right there because when, when we hear this, we just kind of, it's so easy to dehumanize these characters and just kind of read it and go, go through and now oh, that's interesting. What I love about the chosen is it gives these people life and character and it brings out what this really meant in biblical times in, in Judaism, when a woman was bleeding, she was considered unclean. And this was a big deal because if she sat on anything and you touched it, you were unclean. Uh, if you touched a woman who was unclean, you were unclean. And so there was a lot, when, when you talk about a woman being on that time of the month, there was a, it wasn't just a small thing. It was quite significant. It meant social ostracism. It meant she couldn't have a husband. It meant a lot of different things because you were not to touch a woman who was unclean during that time. And then there was a ceremonial cleansing you had to go through to be brought back into uh, normal society and be able to function. And again, a lot of people look at this and say God was misogynist and there's all these things. There's a lot we can d dive into and understand that it's not that at all. It's, um, there's a, you know, just as a side note, it's, it's actually, uh, it, it, while it seems very harsh, it's actually a form of mercy because she's, you know, a woman gets to take a break kind of from her duties. She's, she's, um, you know, that that's her time of, of privacy essentially. And then also the other thing that's very powerful is that there are no female priestesses in the Levitical law. And one of the reasons for that is there are many that God has, but and he doesn't lay them all out explicitly for us in scripture. But one of the things that we see is that Levitical priests spent most of their day slitting the throats of lambs. And God spares women from having to kill innocent animals and watch them die and sprinkle their blood and go through that process on a daily basis. Instead, God allows women to deal with their sin and, and the consequences of sin, which is part of what this is. This is part of the, the curse and, and in pain you shall compare for children, he said to Eve, in a private manner that doesn't require her to have to look at the, the life of an innocent animal and take it over and over and over again. So there's a mercy in how God deals with women. And so we can go into that at some future time, but you have to understand, for this woman, this was a big deal. This, this, this was not an insignificant thing. Not only was she sick, because it says she had borne much agony under the care of many physicians and had spent all she had, but to no avail. Instead, her condition only grew worse. So we see the story of this woman who is in a lot of pain. She's probably very, very emaciated because she's got to have some sort of anemia from low iron, from all of the bleeding. Uh, she spent all of her money. So she's has nothing she's worse off she's ostracized from the community she's unclean and she's basically hopeless and so here we have this story jesus is on his way to go take care of the jarius's daughter and this woman who had no hope left finally gets an opportunity to see jesus verse 27 when the woman heard about jesus she came up through the crowd behind him and she touched his cloak for she kept saying if i only touch his garments i will be healed verse 29 immediately her bleeding stopped and she sensed 
in her body that she was healed of her affliction immediately. Pause for a moment and put yourself in the shoes of this person. She suffered severely. She's sick. She spent all she had. She has no hope. Everything has worked against her. But yet, she continued to say to herself, if I can just touch Jesus, that will be enough. This is the faith progression that Paul was talking about in Romans. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. This woman was not disappointed when it was all said and done. Verse 30, at once Jesus was aware that power had gone out from him. Turning to the crowd, he said, who touched me? Who touched my garments? His disciple answers, Jesus, there are people all around you, yet you ask, who touched me? (laughs) Like, what's wrong with you, man? Everybody's touching you. Verse 32, but he kept looking around to see who had done this. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell before him, trembling in fear, and she told him the whole truth. Verse 34, daughter, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Go be, go in peace and be free of your affliction. Jehovah Elroy, the God who sees me. This story of God seeing those who the rest of the world rejected, those who were the outcasts, those who had no other hope but him, is interwoven all throughout the scripture. It is one of the stories that makes the biblical story so beautiful. A God who sees his people, a God who reaches out to his people, a God who redeems his people, a God who out of love loves his people. And he took a woman who had no other hope and he saw her and he healed her and she was free from her affliction. I don't think that that watching this story play out in, and of course, in episode four, we're just kind of seeing what's happening with her. We all know the end of the story, so it's not like there are any spoiler alerts in The Chosen. <laughs> but uh, in, in this episode, we don't see her healing, but we see her story. And I think that it was such a beautiful moment for me as I was sitting there realizing that although my story is different than hers, I am still a child of the Most High, and he is still. Elroy, the God who sees me. And I just wanted to take this a few minutes to just encourage you and let you know that he does see you. He does see your circumstances. He loves you and he is working within your circumstances. And this is not a blind faith or a blind hope, but it instead is the hope that we have because of the suffering, the perseverance, and the character that he has built in us. And so we're going to close with Psalm 33. Psalm 33, uh, I love this because this is, again, the God who sees us. Verse one, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the 10 string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. I just want to pause right there because yesterday was one of the few days that I spent time scrolling through TikTok because I just wasn't feeling good. And I saw this clip and this is why I really plead for you to get off of TikTok. Please, 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 please. Okay. (laughs) But I saw this clip of this pastor and he was saying, you know, when you're going through a hard time, Jesus doesn't say, sing him songs and pray to him. He says, follow me. And I was like, pause. Actually, he does say to do that. (laughs) In Philippians chapter four, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving present your request to god and then the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your minds and hearts in christ jesus it sounded wise jesus doesn't say to sing him songs and pray when you're 
you know, when you're anxious, he says to follow him. And I'm like, yeah, actually false. That's why I say to be careful on TikTok because it sounds wise. It sounds motivational, but it's unbiblical and it's anti-scriptural. And just because somebody stands up and says it with a lot of passion doesn't make it true. And so here we start off, sing joyfully to the Lord. Yes, in our trials and tribulation, we are supposed to be singing with thanksgiving, presenting our request to God. We are supposed to be dancing before his throne. We are supposed to be coming before him in prayer. That is, that's what it actually means to follow Jesus. Anyway. I digress. Verse four, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. The, I'm going to repeat that. That's those, that was verses four and five. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all, not just some, not just most, but all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Verse six, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars and he puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood. As a side note, I'm just wrapping up my unbelievable course with John Lennox. And it was beautiful because one of the things he said is, you know, in, in the Genesis story, we have God speaks and he speaks everything into creation. He said, but there's something that we often overlook. He says, and then God spoke to them. He is a personal God who speaks to us. And that is in part of the creation story. And I want to say it with John's accent, but I, I, uh, I'm terrible at an Irish accent, but oh, it's so beautiful when he says it like that. And then he spoke to them. <laughs> Ah, I, anyway, I love that. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stern, stood firm. Verse 10, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord for the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. This is Elroy again, verse 13. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Elroy, the God who sees me. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. Verse 16, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May we, excuse me, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So I just wanted to take a few minutes and and um, say thank you guys for tuning in to Made to Conquer. Thank you for being on this journey with me now, starting our third season. Thank you for being patient with me as I just didn't have it in me to do a full episode today. But I hope this encouraged you and remind you that he is the God who sees. And I look forward to our next episode. I've got some great stuff. I, the Lord has just been stirring in my heart. And I'm just so excited to, to do a podcast episode coming up here soon. But until then, I hope you guys just continue to press into Jesus, continue to learn what it means to be one whom God sees. 
Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Just be with my brothers and sisters who listen to this podcast, Lord. Draw us closer to you, Jesus. Teach us what it means to understand that you are the God who sees and you came here and you saw us and you still see us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, you still continue to lead us on. And we trust that Psalm 23 is true, that you are with us no matter what, and that you're always leading us, guiding us, and that we can trust completely in you. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Until next time, this has been Made to Conquer. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Made to Conquer podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review that really makes it so other people can find this podcast, and be sure to tell your friends and family about Made to Conquer. Anyone else you believe would enjoy joining us on this journey of drawing closer to Jesus.